When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, I'm Jimmy Bullard, and this is me old muck of Venice. We're back together, son. How are you? Hey, Bully, hey, great to be back working with you. Well, what are we doing here, though? We're starting a football club in podcast form. The only thing we know, it's called FC Bullard. After that, it's all up for grabs. So, we haven't got any players, we haven't got a kit, we haven't got a club badge, we haven't got a stadium. Correct. FC Bullard. Welcome to the club. This is a crowd podcast. This episode is sponsored by Young Man. There's no need to feel down. I said, Young Man, pick yourself off the ground. I said, Young Man, because you're new in town. Because you're. Ah, fuck! Because you're in a new town, I said. I said, Young Man, because you're in a new town. There's no need to be unhappy. Ryan, Young Man. We're sponsored by Ryan Youngman, in case you didn't get it from that. To be more like Ryan, go to patreon.com, search for The Joe Marler Show, and become an official sponsor today. Joe, I'm kind of liking the show that we do. It stimulates my brain, hope it's tickling you too. Up to this point, the reviews are okay. We're rising to the top like a well-made souffle. It's the Joe Marler Show. Whoa, whoa, it's the Joe Marler Show. Do you know what I watched this morning, actually, was uh, Ainsley Harriet on uh, Instagram, Lad Bible. Oh, yeah. Um, doing the snack wars, Jamaican snacks versus UK <laughs> snacks, and he was fucking brilliant on it. Was he? Yeah, really, really good, but not like over the top. He was just really good. It's a pro, isn't he? Mm. Ainsley. <laughs> Sometimes I wish I was Mr Bean, because he doesn't speak. <laughs> Wouldn't make great podcasts, would it? <laughs> No, but I just think he, he. I just think his life would be. Well, his life is much simpler, isn't it? Like, oh, he doesn't really know anything, and he just cracks on, and he's. Oh, I just love Mr. Bean. Which would you say is Rowan Atkinson's finest role? Blackadder. Beyond Bean. Uh, well, obviously, there's that. There's that thing, isn't there? That Bean is like worldwide because it's so yeah. universal because of the length. It's all done body language and his actions and stuff so this as well but Blackadder the, just the the humour the dryness I just loved it absolutely loved it and I remember watching Blackadder when I was like young and not really appreciating it loving it but not appreciating it the way I appreciate it now anyway that was such a fucking boring chat just stop talking bollocks let's get on with the show have you seen Johnny English before you go any further yes kids love it yeah likewise absolutely love it stop it <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome to our show. In the blue corner, we have me, Joe Marler. 
I need to come up with a nickname. Wait for it. In the blue corner, we have Joe Top Shagger Marla. <laughs> and in the red corner, we have the undefeated Tom Tiny Penis Four Dice. What? Give me a better nickname for him. Big Penis. <laughs> And in the red corner, we have Tom. He's as cold as ice. Four dice. Welcome. Joe, I love that introduction with one small caveat. Go on. I don't want to fight you. Oh, yeah. We've come so far over these months in establishing a semblance of trust and a bond that I think if I walked towards you and attempted to punch you, all that trust would evaporate. Also, rather more importantly, if I punched you, you wouldn't notice. If you punch me, then I may never walk again. I think you're doing yourself a disservice there. I think you could pack a really, really small and insignificant punch um, <laughs> that I would notice, mainly as a bit of an irritant. Like Just uh, rile you. Yeah, I, you punching someone is like thrush. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much. <laughs> this feels like we're doing the trash talking now as well. It feels like you should have come out with this at the pre-fight weigh-in. You know, one of the ones where suddenly you pick up a chair and you're breaking chairs over each other's faces. <laughs> yeah, what do you reckon to pre-fight weigh-ins these days? It's just quite cringe, I think, most of the time. There's no originality. Like, the reason I liked uh, Tyson Fury so much was that he would do stuff that is so out there that you go, well, that's not original, but it is. And you could argue that it's really cringeworthy, but it's not. It's so crazy that you're just like, what about that time you came in as uh, as Batman? Yeah, it was like, what the fuck's going on here? <laughs> He's a professional athlete. He's just charged into a press conference dressed as Batman. I loved it. Maybe we should turn the whole thing on its head, Joe. So if we are going to have a fight, then the weigh-in press conference is basically us just saying that we actually, we don't mind each other. You're going to take him down, Joe? Is that what you're going to do? You're going to take him down at Chinatown? Yeah, probably just to grab a meal, actually, not to, not to beat him up. It's quite nice. You want to rip his head off, Joe? You want to destroy him, do you? Uh, rip his head off usually means that um, you want me to masturbate him. <laughs> Still got the masturbation word in my head from talking to the vicar, which made me feel uncomfortable in his presence. But saying that word in your presence is completely fine and somewhat erotic. Well, that's great news. Do you know what else is great news, Joe? Um, oh, let me think. Today we're making history. Go on. Joe, today is our first ever two-parter pod it's a two-part pod it's a pod in two parts do you know why because there's two parts to it that's why we've called it a two-part pod also we're talking boxing because our guest today joe is in the corner of his house it is tony what's his nickname it's a good point actually yeah let's do that in the corner of his house in somewhere in Liverpool, we've got Tony the Bomber Bellew. Have I said his surname right? Tony Bellew. I definitely wouldn't want to upset him. He looks nailed. I've seen some of his fights. I don't want to upset him, so make sure that I've said his name right, please. Now, Joe, the thing about Tony Bellew is not only... Was he a fantastic fighter? Not only can he give us fantastic insight into what it takes to be a fighter, 
my goodness, what a talker. Yeah, there's that age-old uh, saying that people can talk for England. He certainly can. He he could talk for England. That's the age-old saying that I'm using. So, you know that age-old saying they say, Tom, <laughs> uh, about talking what for England? What saying's that? And uh, he almost certainly could talk for England. And um, that's why it's a two-parter. And we wouldn't want to edit him down. Uh, because that would be far too much work for Steve. Because he does very little as it is, so he didn't want to edit down into a nice, slick, slim one-parter. He went, sod it, let's play it all, and we'll put it in a two-parter. Lazy sod. Okay, Joe, well, as long as people remember to download both parts, and then maybe leave us cheeky little nice review in their podcast app. Say how great it is, yeah? Oh, that would be lovely. Have you got an update on the Dominatrix situation for us? I don't know what to do. Oh, God. What's happened? I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I'm going, okay. Obviously, it's a podcast, so you can't see what's happening to my <laughs> See what's happening you to got my red. face. But I'm bright red, and I don't know what to do. Oh, God. There's several reasons why I married my childhood sweetheart. Uh, one of which is because I love her deeply and immensely. Uh, but one of one of them is because I'm really bad at talking to women, so uh, just go, just go with the one that loves me first. Oh God, <laughs> I'm so red. Right, the update. Oh God, the update on the Dominic Drinks. Oh God, I'll just get it up. So Steve, being the lazy sod as we've just described. Uh, left it to me to contact the dominatrix um, to see if we can get on the show because she'd obviously contacted us saying you should get a dominatrix on the show. So I put, hi, would you be keen to come on the podcast? And then she replied, oh, God, she's active now. Oh, <laughs> the green lights come up. She's seen me. Oh, God. Well, I had my boss listen to your last show and all you did was talk about me farting. I could have come on. Let me work on him. Best I could offer at the moment is a question and answer under a fake dom name, you silly bastard. I didn't reply because I was too scared. And then her, she then came back to me as, I could train Daisy as a domina. Lol. <laughs> didn't reply again. Too scared. Or if you get a female voice, we can discuss here and she can answer my answers. Question mark? Just the thought. Still didn't respond because I really don't know how to respond. And then she put, rude slave, you could at least answer me. (laughs) She's put, put what? Rude slave, you could at least answer me. And then at 10 past 10 last night. So can we talk now? Question mark, question mark. Oh, I don't know what to do. I'm conscious in this, Joe, that you are a married father of three with your fourth child on the way. I wonder... If this is the point where maybe Steve, as the producer of this podcast, might want to take over negotiations. I also think we need to get ourselves out of this situation as much as possible. No, Steve, this isn't on because my marriage could be at stake here. Because last night I was in bed with Daisy and I'd taken some photos of Felix on the trampoline. And he's got loads of his hair's really long at the minute and his head gone, hair had gone all static. And we're having a great time on there, bouncing away. And I'd taken some pictures. So in bed, we were looking through the phone. And I'd flicked. I was like, oh, look at him. And she's like, oh, his hair, crazy. Oh, how cute. Oh, look at him. And I didn't realise how many I'd taken. 
and then I flicked through the next one and the next one was a screenshot of that conversation that I'd sent to you boys and Daisy was looking at it with me she went what's that then I was like uh that's uh okay quickly how do I answer this uh completely fine and then you go honesty is always the best policy and I went oh that's me having a conversation with a dominatrix and she went what I went yeah it's the dominatrix we're trying to get on the show she went hmm perks of the job eh and that, so it's quite a good response but it had an undertone of what the fuck are you doing talking to a dominatrix should we have a vote on it pans in the air who thinks steve should look after it well that's two that's two of the three i've put both my hands in so that counts motion is passed can i just appeal that what we don't want is a lengthy negotiation process involving text messages if you're in a dominatrix and you want to come on the show that's fine just be on the show we're open to anyone but we're not getting into this 10 o'clock at night phone calls <laughs> stuff no no steve 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 you're in charge now you need to sail away from the harbor forget about the compass and just follow the trade winds okay i'm going to put this in the folder marked long-term bids <laughs> we'll come back to it so we'll leave that with steve and uh steve you can deal with that please Perfect. Joe, I'm going to do a segue that I never thought I'd do uh, when I began my broadcasting career, and that's to shift from talking about a dominatrix to talking about Warren Gatland. Um, He's not giving you the nod. That's fine. You know, when you do get picked, because you were picked last time out, Mm. what's it like? Because we get to see all these videos of people, players sitting around, waiting for it, watching Sky Sports News, and then there's a sort of, oh, and then a but the feeling of actually seeing it come up on sky sports seeing your names being read out and your face in that jersey is like well this is mental is this really happening and it was just crazy really weird and it, i guess it is unique isn't it it's unique because as players and fans you're all in the same boat of tra- working it out the lead up to it all everyone doing dream teams all the press trying to work off all their whispers and what do they use it in Game of Thrones? My little birds. What? What's, have you seen Game of Thrones? Never seen them. So fucking useless to ask you. <laughs> Steve, have you seen Game of Thrones? I've seen the first episode. I've seen the first episode. That's also not any help to me. It's it's very unique in the sense that players, fans, press, no one knows what's going on until that D Day, and. Yeah, it's massive excitement. I get this time around. It was a bit weird, like you, like you've said. It was on a Thursday afternoon. Did you watch it? I watched it, Joe. I was quite busy on the on announcement day, doing various other things, and I knew that the announcement was being made at half past twelve. And then I thought I turned it on, and Sky Sports News were talking about football. So I thought this is weird. So I turned on the other channel that was on that sort of special line show they had, and it wasn't on there. And then. Just different Lions legends started turning up and having awkward conversations. <laughs> uh, I, I, no, I watched it whilst trying to put Maggie's new bed together, which Daisy left me to do on my own for the day and left the house completely because she knew that I needed to be in a zen place to get through a flat pack bed. I'm not exactly DIY savvy, so to speak. So I managed to, and I was hoping in anticipation for Danny Kerr's name to be read out. Because he is by far the form scrum half in the northern. Northern? What's the northern? Ah! 
Nothing. See, this is the issue. When I try and think about what, what I'm trying to say, it comes out shit. Northern. In the Northern Hemisphere. <laughs> Should be Northern anyway. Northern. He is by far the inform number nine in the Northern Hemisphere. And he's had a letter, like a reservation letter, for the last four tours. Since 09, he's had, please keep these dates free. Uh, we might pick you. And he hasn't been picked any time. Oh. And I thought this was his moment. And it didn't come up. And I felt heartbroken for him. And really disappointed. And there were a couple also, that were a couple of shock omissions as well. Like, where's Carl Sinclair? What's Carl Sinclair done wrong? Bless his heart. He's definitely in the top three tight heads in his position in the world. Baffling. Absolutely baffled with that one. But who'd be a selector, eh? The thing about Danny not getting picked, and I know this is not really much of a silver lining, but because, as you say, they do it alphabetically, at least Danny knows pretty quickly. They do the backs first. <laughs> <laughs> Jason Leonard is reading them out. Jason Leonard's hoping that when he gets to a name, he doesn't suddenly have a Joe-style brain freeze and forget how to pronounce someone's name. But at least Danny knows within three names because of where his surname is. Mm. Whereas poor old Sinks, he's got to wait for Jason Leonard to go through all the backs and then three quarters of the forwards. And he's still hanging on. And then, oh, they're on the T's. Uh, they're on the no. W's. Maybe there's been a mistake. Maybe they get... No. That's the same for Billy Vanapola. You know, this he would have had a good chance going on this tour. I would hazard a guess he probably didn't help himself at one point after the last tour coming out saying that if Eddie Jones had been the Lions coach, they would have beaten New Zealand 3-0. And I guess that's sort of something Warren Gatlin tends not to forget. I'm not saying that's the reason, I'm just saying that that may have contributed to it. In the same way that I didn't really do myself any favours on the last tour by acting like a complete penis when I knew I didn't really have a chance getting in the test team and I didn't really do all that I can to stay on tour, so to speak. I did all that I could for the team and to prepare them as best as I could, but let's say I enjoyed the off field side to it a little bit more but yeah no i'm I'm excited i'm i'm disappointed i'm pleased for the players that have been picked i'm disappointed for them knowing that it's going to be a bit of a bubble covid restricted tour and they're not going to be able to really let loose and enjoy south africa for all the wonderful things that that country offers it's one of the most incredible places in the world to go and tour so i am gutted they're not going to be able to do that sort of side of it but oh well nonetheless why, why did you make me talk about rugby you're so f oh, you do my head in it you trap me this is why i've got trust issues because you manipulate the situation you think you tear it up as something else and then you oh i hate it thing is joe you are branching out aren't you in all sorts of ways you've got a documentary out on sky tell me more ah, what's it called what's it about so good you're so so good at segwaying you i'm gonna buy you a segway for <laughs> christmas great Got to save up for it. Yeah, I do have a documentary coming out on the 12th of May, which is today. And it is something I've been working on for... Well, it started, the idea started a couple of years back and has grown and grown and grown and grown like, a, like an untreated boil. Hopefully it's better than an untreated boil. But it's quite weird to talk about, if I'm honest with you, Tom. I'm a little bit nervous. In fact, I'm very, very nervous about putting it out there. 
because it deals with mental health and meeting uh, different people who try different things in their life to treat their mental health and stay on top of their mental health. So it's quite exposing. I don't mean naked, like you don't see any penis, which is a bit of a shame because I do have a niche market for uh, gay bear lovers. Um, but maybe I can set up an OnlyFans page for those guys. So, yeah, I don't really... I'm, I'm not going to watch it because it makes me feel sick at uh, some of the stuff that goes on on it. It's making me feel funny now. Oh, God. At one point, I go and meet, oh, I go and meet a choir, Tottenham Community Choir, and they make me do... They make me do a solo in the choir... I mean, I can't sing to save my life. I can't sing, but sometimes you've got to get out of your comfort zone and try stuff in order to to grow. And that's kind of what the documentary is about. It's called Big Boys Don't Cry. But the irony is that big boys do cry to see what we've oh done sorry i thought this is a weird title i thought why are you telling people that this crying helps sometimes don't tell people not to cry <laughs> yeah i it's when i said to jasper on some of the filming that we did on it he was like what's this for daddy i was like it's this documentary i've been doing son called uh big boys don't cry and he was like but big boys do cry you cry all the time i was like oh yes i know so it's it's quite a hard title of a documentary for a seven-year-old to not take literally. Bear in mind that we're trying really hard to encourage Jasper to deal with his emotions and accept his emotions. So crying is fine. But then I've brought out a documentary that says, big boys don't cry. So he's all confused. He's just like, look, mate, do you believe in God or not? And I'm like, what? We're going down that route again. Is this the same? Because you, a little while ago, you did some filming in North Wales which involved you immersing your beautiful hairy body in a freezing cold lake. Is this the same thing? It's the same thing, yep. Go to Snowdonia, get in a frozen lake, climb up a mountain, meet a life coach, meet fantastic people, meet a fantastic group of young people at a theatre school, meet <laughs> meet the salty seabirds. So yeah, lots of different things that I tried. It was lovely. It was, to be honest, mate, it's something I've, I really, really enjoyed doing and has helped me massively in understanding my own personal mental health and the things that do and don't work. Like we've spoken about before on here when that we did the Movember special yeah. with Fergus and, and James. So let's, fingers crossed. Oh, fucking hell, it's actually out. Oh, God. Well, Joe, I, for one, am massively looking forward to watching it. So where can I watch it again? You are a pro at this, and I do not mean prostitute. I mean professional. Pro is short for professional in this context. And, yeah, you can watch it on demand on Sky. Well fund it, Joe. Um, Shall we get some adverts in and then speak to Tony Bellew? Oh, yeah. I'm a little bit nervous, though. He's a big dog, and he can punch people really hard. But luckily it's not in person, so fuck him. I can offend him all I want. (laughs) Our official sponsors today include the Scrummed Up Pod. There appears to be a rival podcast that's paid to take out an advert in the middle of our show. Genius move. Well done. Yeah, I have to applaud them for that. Well done. I like it. He's on the edge of glory. It's an edgely. Nibble, nibble, Stuart Kibble. The Serial Keller. Craig Keller. 
Isn't he lovely? It's the Stevie Jones. The awesome Orson Stadler. Half pint, Julie Lowry. Yeah, just half a pint there. Yeah, tiny little half pint. Like half pint. Hello, half pint. <laughs> the Thorpedo, James Sibthorpe. The Joystick, Ben Joyce. And the incredibly normal Bob Hope. To be more like Bob, Ben, James, Julie, Orson, Stevie, Craig, Stuart and the Scrummed Up Pod, go to patreon.com, search for Joe Marler Show and become an official sponsor today. Our guest today is a former world champion boxer. Hello, Tony Bellew. But well, usually you, you say a back because we're not videoing it. The thumbs up won't work. But I want to hear your beautiful. <laughs> it's a great start, Tony. It is a great start. But I want to hear your beautiful fucking Scouse accent. <laughs> Let's see what you've got, Joe. Go on, fire it out, Tony Bellew. Welcome. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me, guys. I want to believe that you mean those words. I'm very skeptical that this isn't a pleasure yet, considering we've had half hour prior to starting this as a shower of shit. <laughs> trying to organise your mic and, and earphones that I'm going to blame on Steve, actually. For for once, it's actually not Steve's fault. I don't even know Steve, but I could just imagine he's to blame for absolutely everything. So <laughs> when it rains, it's Steve. When when it's shit, it's Steve. It's just, it's Steve. So Steve, for once, it wasn't your fault, mate. It was mine because I haven't got a clue how these stupid microphones work. Uh, I don't even know why it's needed. We could have just done it through the screen. I shout, you listen, you shout, I listen. It, it would have went down the street, but they've gone all technical, and this is where we're at now. Half an hour then. Apologies. Well, it's not even half an hour. It's 29 minutes yet. Steve, that is your fault, mate. Sorry about this. <laughs> Joe, we got a lot of questions here, haven't we? And there is a question I'd like to ask. I was going to ask Tony, but actually, I might be able to ask you, Joe, as well, bearing in mind your line of work. What's it like getting punched in the face? Why do I get that question? Surely Tony's getting that question. Can we have, can we have, the, I, know, I hesitate to call you a lightweight, Joe, but can we have the non professional getting punched in the face answer and then Tony's professional answer? Most, my, okay, my most vivid punch that I've had in the face, um, they don't really count as punches at rugby. Oh, they do. Like they're, they're pretty cowardly punches. But the worst ones I've had is probably like a right hook from my wife. Um, <laughs> <laughs> up the pub, up the pub one night, I'd given it the big and someone had wound me up. Then I've kicked off, and there's a couple of geese. It's all kicked up. We we're tr- all being trying to pull apart. She'd had a few, I'd have a few, and then a couple of my mates had got both my arms. And instead of her coming over to try and calm me down, she's just gone and fucking whack whack and punched me. And I was like, uh, she's all right actually. She's decent. So um, yeah, that's what it feels like. I was quite ashamed. I was embarrassed, actually. She was good. She was good. But let's ask Tony, shall we? Tony, what's it actually like <laughs> to get punched in the face? I've had an incident like you have had, Joe, off the wife. Uh, I'm not going to describe where we were. I'll just say we was in a nightclub one night and she didn't approve of a certain something and I got a slap across the face that was extremely hard and for me it felt so embarrassing. It's the only time I've been hit in the face and it felt like everyone completely stopped what they were doing in a nightclub. It even felt like the music stopped and everyone just went, oh. <laughs> That moment. Oh, that moment. Yeah, that moment. 
and it was a hell of a slap as well. It really is. And I just thought, bite your lip, take it. You're a man, and she's just absolutely done you for no reason at all and no fault of your own. So that was that incident out the way. Uh, getting punched in the face off guys who really want to hit you. Do you know now that I haven't had done for quite a while, I miss it. I know that sounds very yeah. strange, don't it? Yeah, mate, I miss getting punched in the face, but I miss much, much more punching them in the face. Now, that was where I got me real joy. You know, that was the best ever. You're getting paid obscene amounts of money to punch people in the face as hard as you can. I mean, there's not the best job in the world, in my opinion. So, the very first time I got hit hard in a bout, so obviously the first time you get hit hard is in a sparring session. The sparring session, I had a really weak nose as a kid, so my nose used to pour when I get hit on it. I got a cauterized after two or three years of boxing, and then it stopped, and then it came back, and then I got officially snapped and broke a few times, and, and that was sore, but... It's just, it, it's a weird sensation. You'd think usually, it's like, I always think about it of, you know when kids for the smoke for the first time, and you always go to yourself, you, you, you took a pull of a cigarette, and you say, it wasn't nice, it wasn't nice for anyone, I don't care who you are or whatever. Well, I beg to differ on this occasion, because the first time I had a fag, we had a pouch of backy that we'd nicked from parents that they brought back from France once, and we didn't have any papers to roll it with, so we used juicy fruit chewing gum papers. So there was this hint, there was this actual hint of juicy fruit in it, and it, it actually was all right. So, oh my god, I, I'm, I'm probably the only one that says smoking at twelve with a juicy fruit paper was actually really nice. Tone, how do I don't, I can't even explain how did that even light up with them kind of. Papers? I don't even know. Did you suck it through the? I don't know. Yeah. But anyone who smokes the first time, it's not nice. It doesn't taste nice. It's not when you get punched in the face of the first time, you're in shock. It's just how much did you enjoy before you got punched in the face to think, well, I can take a bit more of this if I'm going to get better. And that's the big thing for me. I loved boxing as soon as I walked in the door. It was just, it was all I was good at. I wasn't good at much else. I wanted to obviously be a footballer for Everton, yeah, but the fact of the matter was I was too fat and couldn't shift enough. Yeah, I had a great smack with the right foot. I couldn't half belt a ball, but I tell you what, that was all as I had. And I just don't think you were going to get into the Everton football club by hitting a ball hard, to be honest. So I was a shit out of luck, but yeah, mate, I just took to boxing. I kickboxed at first. Lo and behold, got disqualified a couple of times for knocking people out with punches to the head because it was only semi-contact. And uh, the coach just said, I think you should take up boxing. And I never looked back. Tom, you've asked us about what it's like to get punched in the face, but having got to know you after the last few months and also seeing a lot of your face, <laughs> surely there's been a lot of people over the years that because you have one of those faces that you know some people would like to hit. You've never been whacked, no? No one ever whacked you? I tell I tell you a story actually, Joe. Right? There's a, I've done this a couple of times in my my old job as a sports writer. I was always trying to get across to people or to help explain to people who had never done whatever sport I was writing about what it was like. So twice I did this thing, which was to do a round with a professional boxer, but with certain caveat. So they weren't allowed to hit me, and I had to try and hit them. What's so the fucking point in doing a round with a professional boxer if he's not allowed to hit you? Is that what caveat means? <laughs> yeah, well, in my case, it did. <laughs> okay. He's bottled it. No, the reason I was doing it was to prove how, how fit you have to be to be a boxer and how exhausting it is just to throw punches for a single round. That was the point of it. And also how hard it is to make contact with a good boxer. So I did it with a guy called Kevin the Look Lushing, who you might remember. Kevin Tony. Lushing was a really and good fighter. And then I fighter. did it with Takalu as well. Oh, two good fighters. And the thing was, Joe, you know, I considered myself, certainly at that age, relatively fit. The impossibility of throwing punches 
for an entire round. You're on your knees. And the other thing is how laughable it is trying to watch an amateur, total amateur, even just lay a glove on a top fighter. You are made to look like an absolute mug. Mate, Kevin Lushing was really good. Kevin Lushing fought Felix, Tito, Trinidad and dropped them, actually. And was a really good strong fight. Dropped them with a left hook. I always remember Kevin Lushing. And Takalu couldn't half punch. Really, really could bang me. So I remember him beating Anthony Farnell and then him losing to Wayne Alexander later on. Really two good fighters. So you've been shown the ropes. It's just, it's hard, mate. You know, listen, I knew I was going to be really good at boxing. I remember a lad, he's actually one of the best journalists in the country. Now. His name's Christopher Walker. He writes a book and stuff like that. I went to school with him. Funny enough, two of us got expelled from school, but that's another story. <laughs> uh, but he is quite an intelligent boy. But I could I could never cross over to him and explain to him what boxing really was. Now he writes about boxing all the time and he, he respects it and appreciates it. Now, but he come to the gym this day and he said, "I said body punches really hurt." He said, "Don't be ridiculous." He said, "They don't hurt one bit." I said, "I'll tell you what." I said, "This is going to be quite simple. We'll get in the ring and spar. You can hit me as hard as you want." Bear in mind, I was only fifteen, sixteen at the time. You can hit me as hard as you want to the head. I can only hit you to the body. And he went, you are joking. I'm going to knock you clean out. And I said, okay, fine. I said, but if punches don't hurt to the body, this is great. It didn't last long, mate. We got him, 20 seconds. He throws one, two. I stepped back out and makes a miss. As I stepped back in, as he threw right hand over, I just touched him with a left hook under the ribs. And this guy is 17, 18 stone. He went down and he did not get up for a good few minutes, mate. He crawled around the ring and said, this is not supposed to feel like this. That, that <laughs> Joe knows the noise because I can imagine you've been struck. Oh, God. I'm not it. I'm I'm not it. The worst worst, worst one actually was when a conditioning coach of mine, I was only about 17 or 18, and he he had to get dressed up for this shitty do that he was going out to. And he's this like small, rough Welsh bloke. And I took the pit. I remember getting my phone out and take, taking the piss out of him in front of the team. I was like, hey, look at you. Look at the state of you, dwarf. You know, blah, blah, blah. And he's just eyeballed me. And I was like, yeah, what the fuck do you look like, mate? What do you look like? And out of nowhere, he's punched me as hard as he can, straight in the stomach, like perfect, perfect positioning. I've hit the deck. Worse than being knocked out, hit the deck. Just like, oh, fuck it. Oh, fuck it. I fucking. I, fu- I turned northern for fucking. Oh, fuck it. Can't speak. I can't fucking speak for about fucking half hour, you fucking wanker. Sound like, sound like Butch Dingle. Fucking, oh, fucking bad. Uh, right, you've, you, Tony, you've touched on that you enjoyed getting punched and you kind of miss it, but you actually really enjoyed punching and hurting the yeah. opponent. Is that why you become a boxer? Is that why boxers become boxers? Because they have this inherent need to hurt someone else or they're super aggressive kids that need to channel it in some sort of fight. I'm not going to lie. There is some people who get into boxing because purely they want to hurt people and don't want to go to jail. There is some really nasty, horrible people in boxing in the boxing world. I've read numerous books on individuals who I've looked up to over the years, and and, and they've quite seen the horrible people, mate, in and outside the boxing. Then there's other people like myself who I was good at it. I loved it. I studied it religiously. I knew everything about every fighter, and it was it was mad because I wasn't very good in school. I wasn't bright. I couldn't absorb things the way I wanted to. But when it came to boxing. And I found out later in life, my friend said to me, you're not thick, because I've always thought to myself as thick and half punchy. And they said to me, you're not thick at all. They said, to absorb and take in what you take in about boxing and then to explain to people the way you do, you're actually bright. If you had that same desire and dedication and motivation to learn other subjects, you'd do it. I still disagree, but I still think I am half punchy and a bit thick. But 
I get it a little bit because there's nothing I don't know about boxing. I can explain. Like, just as soon as he said Kevin Lushing pinged Tito Trinidad's you know, just come straight into me. Eddie fought him, he dropped him. Tito Trinidad's an amazing fighter. Takalu, the people who he beat, the people who he lost to. So I can just respond to things like that. But if you ask me, you know, what's the square root of 16, I'm, I'm like, what, what are you on, mate? I don't, I don't really care. I know it's, is it four? I don't know. Tom, is it? <laughs> numbers aren't my game, Joe. You know, I'm a words man, not a numbers oh, man. Oh, right. Okay, fucking <laughs> hell. Ask me to spell super Califragilisticexpialidocious. I'm lost. So certain things I can adapt to. But yeah, boxing, I'm not going to lie. I enjoyed eating, but I, when I went on the SAS show, that was the first time it had been drawn upon me since I'd left boxing. So it had been over a year, I'd been retired, and they put a set of boxing gloves in front of me and, and wanted me to hurt other people. And when Ollie said it to me, yeah, put the gloves on, I said, I won't put the gloves on, I'm not going to hurt anyone. I said, I'm, I'm done with hurting people. And his words to me, don't you fucking tell me. I said, I've just fucking told you, I'm not hurting no one. And he said to me, I've seen you hurt people before. And I said, yeah, you have seen me hurt people before. I said, but they were trained athletes like me. That's why I enjoyed hating them, because, you know, that was my job. And he'd just do as you're fucking told. I put the gloves on, I put the egg on, and I wouldn't have hurt any of them. The only one I wanted to get off, give a clip to was Fash. Not a big yeah. Wimbledon fan, no? But you know what? Uh, Wimbledon didn't do me any harm. Wimbledon actually gave me one of the greatest days of my life. We beat Wimbledon 3-2, Goodison Park, on the last game of the season, and stayed up. Yeah. That was scuffy goal, Cross and Sagers. Scuffy goal. Aye, aye, mate, we stayed up. <laughs> Are you a copite by any chance? Is he a copite, Tom? Are you a copite? Who's your sport, Tom? I'm a Wednesday fan. Oh, fuck me. You can't laugh at no one. Jesus Christ. The last time you've seen a bit of goodness was Paolo Di Canio winning. Or what was the other fella's name? Benny Carbone, eh? Carbone, he was good as yeah. well. Yeah. Kenya scored an amazing goal at Goodison Park. You might remember. It's just, it's an amazing goal. He goes around the entire team and then someone tries to destroy him because he, he sits the keeper on his arse. Might be Thomas Myra. Sits Thomas Myra down his arse and dances oh. round him. And then he puts his foot on the ball, just sits across the line. As he's about to tap it in, someone, might be Dave Watson, tries to go right through him at his knees just to say, you bastard. Do you know what? He'd done one of the most memorable things I've ever seen at Goodison Park, Paolo Di Canio. He had an open goal and he picked the ball up and gave it back. Yes. He down for it. He, he, he Why? It. He was playing for West Ham at that point. There was a foul and basically if it was anyone else, mate... He would have just put the ball in the net. He still had a little bit to do, but it was basically an open goal. And it was to keep it injured. And he picked the ball up off the floor. He'll always be loved by Evertonians. That he was a brilliant, brilliant player. But yeah, I forgot where we were then. Football. No, I don't. This is exactly what happens. We talk absolute bollocks <laughs> all the time. In 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 your book, and you've said it already. We've only been like ten minutes in that you referred to yourself as a bit thick and. Yeah. And as a fat kid, and actually, as yeah. in fact, I'm going to try. I'm going to. I love your accent. I love accents. You see, so I'm going to try it. And the only reason I'll try it is because I'm doing it online and not in person, and I'm well out of your reach. Joe, so. you've been struck just as hard as me, mate, playing that game. You've been yeah. What I can't years, work so. out is why the fuck my nose is wonkier than yours. Because <laughs> I was very you've good at yours, done it. Oh yeah, no, okay. I haven't. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm really, I'm really bad. I'm really bad at my job. Uh, in your book, you refer to yourself as a fat kid and a lost fucking bum. Um, is that why you got into boxing then? To give yourself like some sort of identity or... When I first done it, I done it to lose a bit of weight. But then the only reason I stuck at it was to impress me dad. And if I'm being brutally honest, yeah, I just wanted to impress my arm man. My arm man left home when I was 10. Uh, but he wasn't one of them our fellas who leaves home and then you don't see him again. My dad was in my day every other day of my life. So, you know, he left me ma. You know, wasn't the very best of being a good husband, but he was a fucking brilliant father. And 
I just wanted to impress him. My dad had two amateur boxing bouts. First one he won, uh, and the second one, the guy was jabbing his head off, and after the first round, I'm told he picked up a stool and went for him with the stool. So that was my dad's mentality. My dad could really have a fight, but he wasn't a man to be boxing in boxing rings. My dad was on uh, run a lot of the nightlife security in Liverpool. And if you've ever been to Liverpool, you'd understand that you know you, you've got to be one of two things: either a fighter or a joker. You could tell a really good fucking joke that gets you out of a fight, or you fucking stand and fight me. It's one of the two, because uh, very, very few make it as a footballer. To be honest, where I'm from, Waverley in Liverpool, there was one way out: football or, or fighting, uh, and that was it. Me, I just wanted to impress me dad. That's why I stuck at it, and that's why I grafted so hard. So when you get professional, it is then about how much do you really want it? How tough are you? And, and can you go to the well on numerous occasions and get the shit knocked out of you repeatedly and want to come back for more? And to be totally and brutally honest, upon having before kids, I didn't have that in me. But when I had kids, that's what definitely drove me to push it. Because the last place I wanted to ever end up was in jail. And that's where you end up when you're making quick money. And you're from Liverpool. And that's just how it goes, mate. So boxing it was. I stuck at it. I gave it everything I had. It's mad when I look back at my career and I look back at the things I've done. Boxing has took a massive part of my life. And my kids have missed so much. This lockdown's been, been fucking fantastic, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I've got to know my eldest lad, he's 15. I've got to know my eldest lad these last two years since I've retired. I've really got to know him and I've worked out that he's a big dope and just wants to give lip to me all the time. Uh, <laughs> thinks he can take me. You know, my lad's 15 years old. He's six foot four on a size 11 shoe and thinks he can take me. Fucking he's been hell. told a lesson already. Mate, I've got a 12 year old who's now six foot on a size 11 shoe. A 12 year old who's six foot. You've, so got, your got, work, you've got your work cut out, mate. They're coming yeah, for you. I have. But the main thing is, and the best thing in there about this is, I've got no girls, so I'm not going to jail. Because if I would have had a daughter, <laughs> can you imagine some fella knocking on my door? All right, mate, is she in? Oh, she's in, kid. Come in. And you're just never going to leave. <laughs> so I've got four boys, uh, and my youngest is 14, 15 months. So I've got 15, 12, 9, and 1 and a bit. And they're all boys, so... Yeah, without them, I wouldn't have been driven the way I was, I swear to God. Everyone says, oh, I'll do it for me, family, do it for me, kids. It's not that I've done it for them. It's just that I've done it to stay with them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because there was, there was, I just didn't want to go down any other bad routes, which a lot of friends did, people who I grew up around, everyone in the area did. Yeah, it's, it's mad. I will look back. Me and my best mate, my best mate was a professional footballer for his whole career. He's still actually a professional now. Uh, footballers last longer than boxers, to be honest, jammy bastards. With 10 men backing you up every time you walk out on, under the lights, I'm not surprised. <laughs> Pussies. But, uh, yeah, uh, Neil Dan's his name is. So we grew up together and he was a footballer and I ended up being a professional boxer. He had an amazing chant. Everybody dance now. Everybody dance yeah. now. Yeah. yeah, I remember the Bolton fans singing that few times everybody dance now yeah I've been to watch him I still go and watch him now he's absolutely playing at Connors Key at the minute in Wales North so Wales yeah he's had an amazing career he's been fantastic and it's been brilliant following him watching him supporting him and he's done the exact same back for me we've grown up since the age of 11 Tom shall I shall I fuck off all my questions about boxing and boxers and just leave you leave you two to Norse football um, for the next hour or so because I'm fine doing it I guess you don't it. know about football I haven't got a fucking clue all I've got all I know about is Pogba is born on the same day as my son uh, his favourite players uh, Fernandez. He's uh, my son is obsessed with Man United oh, okay. he's got Man United everything he made me get him a Man United Paul Pogba wobblehead and he's always making me go outside and play football. And, you know, usually with kids, you're like, 
you let them win at stuff, don't you? you, mm, you know, yeah. he's, only, he's only seven. Yeah, you know, give him a chance. Not all me. that lot. I can't toe punt a Brilliant. ball, let alone actually play football. So he's genuinely <laughs> beating me at football all the time. So I have to resort to what I'm good at, and that's dirty tactics, where I'll pinch him or I'll push him over or I'll go right through him and say, "Fucking, you'll have to toughen up, lad." You know what I mean? Is that that's a foul? That's a penalty? I'm like, no, I'm not having you beat me five nil. Brilliant. Um, did you look at being a boxer as a way of life or as a job, or was it both? A way of life. It's oh, a way, way of life, life, is it? Yeah, it, it took over. It's sad, and I'm embarrassed to say, but boxing came before me. Family, it came before me. Wife, it came before anything. I didn't care about anything, it was just fighting. All I cared about was winning. It was a way of life, it just wasn't even a job. It's mad because I want to look back and think, if it was a job, I'd have been more concerned about the money. But in all honesty, I never cared about the money. It was always about the winning. Until I became world champion, that's when it turned into a business. The minute Goodison Park was finished, I then became a businessman. I then realised, because I'd achieved everything I set out to achieve. I'd been British, Commonwealth, European and world champion. Once I'd won all them four belts, done everything I set out in life to do was all about boxing. The kids came along the way they did, yeah, and I'll say it's all great, saying I've done it for me, family and kids. Listen, I became world champion for me. I had this dream since I got expelled from school. I wasn't becoming world champion for the kids. I wasn't becoming world champion for whatever I was coming. became WBC world champion for me because it was my lifelong goal. And I gave it absolutely everything I did. So when I'd done it, I was in the kitchen on a Monday morning because I fought on a bank holiday Sunday. And I'm in the kitchen and she comes in and she goes, uh, so is that it now? You know, you've done it, you've became world champion. It's, it's, it's over, isn't it? You know, you just stop now. And I was like, and what love, become a, get, a, get a regular job and what I'm going to start doing, delivering DHL or UPS or something like that in the van because I can't do fuck all else. And she went, no, but you know, it's all done. I said, I know, we're not financially secure. I said, yeah, we've earned a few quid and... Uh, you know, I've, I've virtually bought this house, but th- this is not what I've been fighting all these years for, to just stop now and go, I've won a World Celsius after, that's great, fantastic, thank you, round of applause. What's going to happen when the mortgage fella knocks on the door and I go, uh, I haven't got the mortgage this month, mate, but have you seen my belt? You know, have a look at this belt, it's fucking great, you know, I mean, I, I wanted a good some park, he's going to be like, don't give a fuck, it's just <laughs> where's your rent, mate, where's your mortgage? Where's your mortgage money? So, explaining that to her was, it was a little bit harder than I've just explained it to you, but... I said, listen, what I promise you now is it's no longer about the fights. are going to be as dangerous, but they're going to be purely about money. And David A just had a massive big pound sign on his forehead, mate. He always <laughs> had it. He carried it around with him. He, he always had it, mate. And I've known David for a long time, and I always knew me and him would, would be box office. He couldn't see it, but I could. I understood what you needed to be in the professional boxing. I understood you needed to be hated or loved. I wasn't. I didn't care. I didn't care if you hated me with a passion, or you loved me with everything you had. As long as as long as you wanted to see me, I needed to make you want to watch me. I don't give a shit if you fucking despise me. Great. As long as you paid for the ticket, mate. Come in. That's all <laughs> that I cared about, and that's the kind of polarizing statistic you need when getting into boxing that a lot of the guys don't get today because not everyone can be like AJ AJ's my good mate and I love him he's, he's the best thing to happen for boxing he really is he's just the perfect role model for everyone but not everyone can be like AJ where the boxing just does the talking he just gets in and knocks it out simple as that mate he takes his top off he looks like a fucking the Hulk he looks amazing doesn't he you mean Fucking hell, he's probably got a schlong on him that's about 13 inches as well knowing him you know what I mean he's yeah. just got there's nothing he hasn't got 
As it, he's, he's done I know, perfect, it's, man. It's, it's it's tough to deal with when you got some when you're packing some heat like that, mate. You know, <laughs> it's really so, hard to hide as well sometimes. <laughs> so I feel his pain. I feel his pain. But he's just perfect. So, but not everyone can be like him. So I had to make myself, as I said, loved or hated. People like to call it marmite, whatever it is. But I think towards the end of my career, people understood why I was doing it, why I was the way I was, and it. it Dawned on people, well, he is a f- actual family guy and he's not an absolute maniac and lunatic all the time. He just seems to be a lunatic when he's in the boxing environment, which I am. And the most relaxed person you could ever meet. Me, my missus says to me, if he was any more relaxed, you'd fall asleep sometimes. But I'm just laid back and easy going, lad. I think in the book and stuff like that, I come up on issues and things that have gone on me career, things that we can draw upon. But I didn't. The book isn't an autobiography, and I wanted to stress that to everyone because I just didn't want to talk about my childhood growing up. But you know, it's not to say I've grown up and I've had a bad childhood because I haven't. I've been loved by two loving parents, uh, both working class people. And I just didn't want to draw upon, you know, should I sit there and go, oh, I'm a victim, I was, my dad left when I was 10, no, don't give a fuck, I had a great life as a kid, I had the best mates in the world, I had 10, 11 of us, it was boss, and there's nothing to complain about, so there's, there's nothing to draw upon, but what I did want to say in the book was things that I've gone through in my life, I've been through an awful lot, you know, working on nightclub doors with my dad from a young age, you know, putting bulletproof vests on to go to work, it puts things into perspective when you think, why would I be scared then I get in a boxing ring when I was going to work for 100 quid a night with a bulletproof vest on thinking I might get shot tonight. So when the lads were getting shot left, right and centre on doors in Liverpool. So the book talks more about how I dealt with things and certain scenarios that everyone can do in everyday life. And I think it passed over. I really do. Boxing helped shape me and become a better person and, and has gave me a much fucking better life than I ever anticipated, to be honest. There's something else I like about your book, Tony, and that's the way you, you take us inside boxing. There's loads of stuff when you watch boxing from the outside you think you might know about or you might wonder about. And you take us inside that world. And one of them is, I suppose it's one of the more negative things about boxing, but it's something every boxer goes through. And that's what it's like when you lose. Yes. Like there's, that, there's that amazing line, or the way it changed George Foreman when he loses to Muhammad Ali in the Rumble in the Jungle. That changed him as a man, didn't it? And there's that great story about Floyd Patterson, great heavyweight champion of the world in the late 50s, early 60s, how he used to take a false beard, like false whiskers yeah. and a moustache in his kit bag. What? To disguise himself. Yeah, he here. was so ashamed that if he lost, which is just astonishing. I get that. I right, get hang on a minute. Sense. Hang on a minute. Floyd Patterson Heavyweight champion of the world would take a, a, disguise. a disguise to a fight if he lost and he'd just slip out the back in this fucking disguise. Yeah, he would do it, yeah. What, and no one would bat an eyelid? They'd be like, who's that bloke that we didn't see come in with this giant comedy <laughs> glasses and this massive nose and this massive beard? You've seen coming to America, haven't you? I'm picturing that he walks out, the, the white guy in the barbers and the teddy maybe. So. <laughs> but he wasn't that good, obviously. But, you know, listen, you stick a wig on someone, it completely changes the complexion, stick a beard on them. So I can understand how he done it. I fully get why. George Foreman, the rumble in the jungle in Zaire, the losing was the most heartbreaking thing I ever encountered and I've lost some people in my life uh, in later in life I've understood I've I learned that the heartbreaking defeat when it first happened so the first time I ever lost into the professional ranks was to a guy called Nathan Cleverly but I didn't think I lost I thought I won so it wasn't even that bad to be honest because the next day I came out the house I was like I don't give a fuck I, I won that fight I know I won that fight in my mind one person you can never lie to is yourself. You tell everyone else all the lies, the bullshit, whatever. When you look in the mirror and you look back at yourself, deep down you know. 
you know in your heart of hearts if you've done enough or you haven't done enough. I thought I'd done enough that night. I thought, it was, yes, it was close, but whatever have you. When I come across defeat and pain for the first time, was against Adonna Stevenson. He stopped me in the seventh round, I think it was, still can't remember now, the fuck hit me that hard. Uh, I was exhausted and out mate. I've never been, you know, I, I walk around today at 17 stone, I fought him at 12 and a half. It was an absolute, and don't get me wrong, I wasn't. Hang on a minute, you fought at 12 and a half stone? I did, me for the first half of my career, yeah. And you're a 17 stone bloke, like, give or take a little bit there? Yeah. You fought at 12 and a half stone? 12 and a half stone, mate. I used to walk around at 15 and a half, 15, and then I'd get down to 12 and a half, and it used to, the the Donna Stevenson fight, I nearly died, mate, at the scales. It it killed me. But listen, don't take nothing away from, he beat me fair and square. He fucking belted me so hard, he rocked me skull. He nearly cracked me cranium. And that, I remember going to bed that night after that fight and just crying myself to sleep. Because I'd been a professional boxer now for X amount of years. I'd been boxing on a whole for, I think it was, anywhere between 10 and 15 years this was all my life was about at this stage I've now got two kids and I'm like I've lost my world title fight I can't believe I've lost it I built it I'd gone through final eliminators every kind of elimination match the WBC put in front of me I went through I took shit money for every fight because I was just itching to get to the world title I'd been British and Commonwealth champion and I was just like really I've got this far and I've just failed and I'd say lonely lonely night that was in Canada in the room on me jack just sobbed myself to sleep woke up the next day and thought I've got to reinvent myself was it embarrassment not being able to show your face to people because you'd let people down or you'd let yourself down you weren't as tough as you thought you were or like is that what it was about a bit of everything I mean I I, I was always vocal and I'm very vocal on what I'd say I was going to do so I didn't go into a world title fight thinking well some fighters you seen to go well I think I can win you know it's, it's a really hard fight I was one of them ones who turned up to a world title fight I'm going to punch your fucking face in I'm the best I'll chin you no problem so as you can imagine the media loved people like me because if you're willing to say them things then you've got to be willing to back it up mm. and uh Ninety percent of the time, mate, I've done absolutely fantastic in backing it up. But that ten percent, mate, it's still there. <laughs> and when you don't back it up, they want to jump on you. So uh, uh, I, I, I really mate, struggled I exa- with that. I know exactly what that's like. In twenty fifteen yeah, World Cup, Tom, you were one of them as well. You were one of the media snakes that fucking stabbed me in the back <laughs> um, when we uh, when we bombed out of the world, home World Cup, oh, mate. It was it was hell. It was dark, and you think there's no way back from this. You don't want to show your face. You don't want to go to a supermarket. You want to just hide. And I actually did hide. I hid. We were standing at this hotel in uh, in Surrey called Penny Hill, which was our base. And I remember um, later that night, after we got back, said goodbye to the families because we still had a game to play against Uruguay the following week. So we still had to be in camp. Already been knocked out. And then I was like, oh, fuck this. I need to hide from everyone. Went to the car park and they've got this wooded bit out the back. And I went... <laughs> And I went and sat in the woods and I took a pouch of backy with me, took my roll ups and I was just sat there like might as well just fucking smoke smoke my worries away because I'm never gonna play again. I was that fucking shit. I'm never gonna play again. I'm never gonna show my face again. I might as well have that Floyd Patterson disguise on permanently <laughs> and just completely change it all. Um oh, But but the the sun rises, doesn't it? The sun always rises. It hurts at the time, but but it rises and you have to get brush, dust yourself off and get on with it. Very, very true. You just have to, you know, as I done reinvent myself, I said, I'm going up in weight. I obviously knew I was going up in weight even before the fight. But say you're going up in weight and you reinvent yourself as best as you possibly can. 
and then I went up to Cruiserweight and I'll be honest I never looked back uh, I went into a rematch with the fella who supposedly had the win over me and cleverly and I just beat him up for 12 rounds which was absolutely fantastic I enjoyed it massively still can't stand that tit now <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's it was I really really enjoyed. It wasn't a great fight. It was absolutely horrendous. At the end, and Sky Sports said I'd never get on box office ever again after that fight. Long be old though. They soon wants to know as soon as I called out David A, didn't he? And have me moments of Goodison Park. So that went down well. Uh, I always get stick off Eddie for that bill for the cleverly rematch, but uh, I didn't give a shit. I'd won, and then I went off and done a, a movie in Hollywood and Creed. So I didn't care about anything. You just mentioned Eddie. Is that Eddie Hearn? Yeah. Yes, Ted and he, he was your manager, Ted was he? Was he? Fuck. What was you're he? Joking. Promote- I, I was the manager. He was me. You managed him. Yeah. That was the way it went. <laughs> you tried to. Right, that's where we're going to leave part one. But Joe, I'm concerned that we need to tempt people back to part two. You haven't got a cheeky plan up your sleeve, have you? See, I have a cunning plan, in the words of Baldrick, that we should play a clip of part two so that people download it. So here's the clip. Eddie Earn is one of the smartest men boxing's ever known and seen. I'll guarantee that. And to add to that, he's the most honest out of every promoter I've ever known. He's an arsehole at times, and he sends me nuts. And he's done me a couple of times as well, Latois. And when I say done me, he's got me cheap. But that's his job, because he's a fucking promoter. So there you go. And don't forget, if you want to support the show, search for Joe Marler Show on Patreon. Right, we'll pick up this conversation in part two, shall we? Yes, let's. Crowd Network. A place where you belong. Sports Social Podcast Network.